Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Life is messy. Parenting is messy. Cooking is messy. But if we do it together, we're creating experiences of togetherness with our children that teaches them that they are safe, loved, and empowered. Chef Kibby from Cooking with Kibby is my guest on today's podcast episode. And wow, are you in for a treat? Before you raise your eyebrow and say, Chef Kibby on a parenting after trauma podcast, let me explain just a little bit more. Yes. Kibby is a professional chef with a history of teaching and educating and catering events and obviously cooking. He's also a dad to biological foster and adopted kids. Kibby has brought these two worlds together to create something that is pretty amazing, both for his family, but also for yours. I can't wait for you to learn more about him and the really unique work that he's doing with families. I'm Robin Goebel, and welcome to the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even taught the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention to get free, accessible support to you as fast as possible. So this podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. Sometimes you'll even get lucky enough to hear a cockadoodle do in the background. If you love this episode, please add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share with your friends and colleagues. You are definitely going to want to head over to my website and get my new free ebook that I've created all about the brilliance of attachment. I took everything from the six-part series that I ran in June and had it professionally laid out into a free ebook. Watching the series go from words into a feels like a work of art was surprisingly lovely. I hope you love it. You can get it at robingobel.com slash ebook. And while you're on my website, you're definitely going to want to check out the club, a virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. This week, the club had our monthly meeting that we just call Connect and Co-Regulate. And y'all, sometimes I just can't even. It is so, so, so overwhelming to be a part of this amazing community. The way they bravely show up for each other and themselves has exceeded what I ever thought was possible. 
if you need to feel seen, to be gotten, to be understood, we would love to have you. The club opens for new members approximately every three months, and we'll be opening our doors again in the fall. If you head to robingobel.com slash the club, you'll be able to add yourself to the waiting list. Today's episode with Chef Kibby is so fun. I am a big, big fan of creating moments of healing for our kids, like Dr. Perry talks about, moments, as opposed to once a week therapeutic hour. Not that we don't want to be offering the once a week therapeutic hour, but we want to be offering so much more that our kids need so much more. They need moments of healing. He talks about creating therapeutic experiences far beyond the traditional therapy room. And that's exactly what Chef Kibby is doing. So instead of giving you any more introduction, I'm just going to hit play on the interview so you can hear for yourself. I hope you love it. Well, welcome Kibby to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on with me today to have this opportunity to get to know a little bit more about all the awesome work that you're doing and to share that with my listeners. So hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me as a longtime listener, first time caller, I guess you could say. <laughs> I'm really awesome. excited to be on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, I just had to. I mean, as I, you know, we've had this, you know, relationship over Instagram and NDMs. And as I'm looking at like what the work that you're doing, like, oh, this is cool. This is unique. This is interesting. I want to share this um, with my listeners. So let's just dive right into that and tell us like who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Well, for those of you who have not met me yet or slid into my DMs on Instagram at this point, my name is Chef Kibby. I am a um, certified chef, a culinary professional of 25 years. I'm a culinary instructor. I, I teach for the uh, community college here in Columbus, an amazing program from which I graduated cool. about 10 years ago. Apart from that, I'm also a biological foster and adoptive dad. And the real kind of impetus behind what I'm doing right now as a content creator, a course creator, and a coach is taking what I've learned in kind of combining my culinary background with my background as a trauma-informed parent and put them together in, well, kind of the journey that I've been through in learning how much the kitchen can be a place of creating connection for our children and specifically for children from a trauma background, which is why I think you and I have a lot in common. I've actually learned quite a bit from you and listening to your podcast. And so I think it's just, it's uh, amazing that I get to be on this side of the microphone now and to be able to speak into other people who are like me, who want to understand more about what's going on in the minds of our children and also our own minds as well in order to be more attuned and present and to use the skills and the tools that we have available to us to create deeper attachment and felt safety for them. And I've just been so blown away in the process that I've gone through over the last couple of years to learn what a blessing it is to be comfortable in the kitchen and to be used be able to use that as a way to communicate these things to my children in a way that they're actually receptive of and responsive to and begin to see some progress in our relationships. Well, I'm sure you know that probably one of the number one, let's just, let's say at the very least top five challenges that parents will talk with me about is, is food. 
feeding, what they won't eat, or they eat too much, or the lying, or the stealing that goes on around food, or just that this experience that is so ingrained, I think, in us as parents, one, just as the nurturing experience of parenting and how that of course goes hand in hand with feeding. But then there's so much just like social and cultural pressure around the meaning we make of ourselves as parents. If we're quote unquote feeding our kids well, or our kids are eating well, or whatever stories we make up around food and man, does all of that come to a head when parenting kids with a trauma history, even if their trauma history it doesn't have overt food-related trauma in it. And so when I was seeing what you were doing and seeing this really, in a, I, I would say creative way you're going at this simply because it's not something I've seen really anywhere else with this focus that you have um, on helping parents and kids bring, just like you said, connection and felt safety into this food experience. So I just want to hear all about it. I mean, I want to hear, was it, was there like a ha, aha moment you had with your own kids or was it like really gradual and all of a sudden, like, yeah, I just want to hear like how you came to the, like your chef Kibby, you know, kind of the brand that I'm looking at online where you seem really focused, right. On working with foster and adoptive families. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and that I want you to listen to in this specific order. And I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. Yes. And honestly, all those things you brought up, we could probably have an entire podcast episode on each one of those particular issues. For sure. So well, maybe that'll give us some content for later on down the exactly. road for the next time we chat. Yep. But in the meantime, uh, yeah, understanding kind of the story of how, how I got to this point. Let's go back to those good old days before COVID, you know, BC. <laughs> Right. So about a year and a half ago, we're talking, you know, March of 2020, as I'm sitting here right now, I had a, a business, a family catering business. I was already teaching at the community college, but also had the family catering business where I was you know, helping other people to be present for the people that mattered to them most. You know, the yes. mother of the bride, the, the host of the event, you know, whatever the case may be. That was kind of my my full time job. I was doing that primarily, which and there were some events where I had to 
pull in maybe my wife or my mother-in-law or, or someone else from the family to help make those events happen. So it was a family business. We also had a small event center where we were hosting small events and also doing hands-on kitchen sessions. So cooking classes where we had up to 12 people, whether they were family members or students or maybe uh, a, a work group, you know, an employer and some of their, their employees or clients cooking and eating together. And really that's where I first began to see kind of that, that connection connecting power, that relational power that I always knew being a professional in the hospitality management industry. Hospitality is all about opening your doors to other people and being welcoming and, and friendly and courteous. And so I always knew that there was something about food that brought people together. Then we started doing the, the hands-on kitchen sessions. I started having like family groups. There was one group in particular. It was a mom and dad with five grown adult children and their spouses. So the 12 of them around Christmas time would come together and do one of my kitchen sessions. And that, again, kind of ratcheted up that, that thought process in my mind that, wow, there's really, there's something here. There's something yeah. to this that other people aren't quite realizing yet. But it wasn't until the pandemic happened. And you know, catering is all about people in large groups eating together. Yes. So that went, oh, bye-bye. Right. Real fast. And kitchen <laughs> sessions, people without masks, handling food and cooking and eating together. That so long. Right. Right. See ya. Mm. And so pretty much overnight, my entire family business and everything that I felt from a from a real personal kind of regulation standpoint justified my existence as as a yes. chef, yes. calling myself a chef was er erased. Overnight, wow. and that was a huge hit to my self-esteem. Yeah, and I'm still, still kind of dealing with it to this point, which is yeah. great about being on these podcasts. It's a little bit of free therapy. I'm not going to lie. No, I mean, <laughs> I do just want to pause and say, like, what? Wow! And thank you for sharing that. And I mean, I have I relate to that in a way because although my business was not, ex of course, obviously nothing like yours, it was deeply impacted by the pandemic and, and everything that goes along with this major global crisis, as well as this significant personal and then family crisis. Um, Absolutely. So, gosh, I really feel, feel that. And thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's, a, it's an important part of my story and it's an important part of the things that I feel God has brought me through to bring me to this place of healing, not only for my family, but also for myself. Yes. And which is what I'm so happy to be sharing in my, in my programs in, in cooking is connecting and, and kind of teaching this, this methodology, this framework around the kitchen. Yeah. And so when all of this got pulled out from under me, I retreated back to my home and back to my kitchen, which is kind of that place of comfort and felt safety for me. It's, it's something that I feel like I had control over. And I feel very comfortable in and was able to take the opportunity to be more present with my family, you know, catering, I could help other people be present for the people in their lives. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I wasn't as present for my own. Right. And so that excuse was no longer there. I could be home, I could be cooking and cooking more with my children. And alongside of that, alongside of the cooking more at home and being in the kitchen more with my children, I was also going through this process of wanting to know how to be more present kind of emotionally for my family. I've been a foster and adoptive parents uh, for almost 10 years now. 
And that comes with a lot of struggles. If any of you and your audience have been or are foster adoptive parents, they know that there's a lot of struggle that comes along with it from managing yes. behavior to um, building co-regulation. You know, terminology that I can use now, but back then I had no clue about. Right. I was not, I did not receive that sort of training in the process mm -hmm. of becoming a foster adoptive parent. And so I began to do some research, some reading, some listening to find out what was really going on. You know, how can I how can we get better at this? Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I came to discover, you know, interpersonal neurobiology. The first place where I started to learn about that was through um, the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development through yeah. TBRI. TBRI, yes. Trust-Based Relational Intervention, has been a night and day game changer yes. for my family. Learning about it, having a TBRI practitioner as our family counselor has been yeah amazing. And through that, I began to learn about, you know, Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson and others in the interpersonal neurobiology space um, and began to read and listen and, you know, do trainings and things like that. And it is in that process, those two things kind of happening in parallel, the cooking with my children and learning about interpersonal neurobiology, mm -hmm. it all just kind of came together. And I realized what an amazing opportunity I have to use the kitchen as a place, like you said, to address one of the most basic needs of all children, let alone those from a trauma background who already have that in, ingrained, felt, con constant and chronic anxiety around food and around having their basic needs met. And to use the kitchen as a way of integrating what I'm learning about about what's going on in their minds and use some real research and science-backed practices and integrate it into our normal family life through the shared act of cooking and eating together. And so I've kind of packaged all of that, that knowledge and information and that mindset around cooking into what I'm calling cooking is connecting, which mm -hmm. at this point, I'm actually in the process, you know, as we're recording this, of doing a bit of a brand shift. I'm, I'm pretty sure that cooking, cooking with Kibby, which has been kind of my brand up until this point, mostly based around teaching people about cooking. Yes. I feel like I need to take a step back from that and really get to the heart. You know, it's kind of like, you know, your x-ray goggles, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, we can address the, the food thing, but really we need to get, take a few steps back like I had to do and see, what cooking can be more than just putting food on the table, more than yeah. just meeting those basic needs for our children, but how can we use it to, to relationally intervene and to begin to see some actual changes take place. And as you can hear by the timbre of my voice, I'm so stoked about this. Yeah. And I'm so yeah. glad that I have your platform mm -hmm. and others to be able to share this with other people so that they can begin to see the changes that I've started to see in my family's life. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right that it's just your enthusiasm is so clear and so contagious. You know, it's it's, it's easy to feel like, oh yeah, like let's let's do this and uh, we let's do get cooking right exactly. Let's get cooking <laughs> now. I will also confess to you, I don't know that why you would know this about me, but I'm a terrible cook. Terrible. My husband is an amazing cook like sometimes considers cooking as a career and then we kind of come back to like 
it's just hard. It's just hard. Long hours, all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, I will say it's not nearly as glamorous as they make it out to be on TV. Sure. I'll just put okay. it that way. Absolutely. <laughs> and we've done enough research to know that that's completely true. But he, so he's the, he's the chef, he's the grocery shopper. He's the everything food in our family is, is him. Um, and we try as much as possible to, to make it about family, you know, as far as what that means, like how I can be involved, how we can do it together, how it, you know, can be a way of just caring and, and connecting for one another. So I hear what you're saying, like, oh, this is so great. This is so amazing. And also know, and you do too, that the families that you and I know, it's like, like some families just think about food or think about a meal time or a prep, or even just imagine going to the grocery store and instant, like parents are instantly like, you know, caught in this like fight flight thing or right. And so yeah, they let's flip talk their about lid. that. <laughs> totally. They flip their lid, even just imagining it, let alone the practicality of like, okay, so how do we use cooking and food and food? food preparation and food serving as a way to build connection. So for that family, that's like, this sounds good in theory, but oh my gosh, no way. Where, <laughs> where do you start? Where do those families start? Absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to say, uh, how amazing it is that your husband has that. Because again, the other thing that makes me unique in this kind of mental health space and parenting space and trauma-informed parenting space is that I'm a dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm a dad. There aren't yep. very many dads out there making their voices heard in this space because yeah. let's face it, it's it's a little bit harder for us. And so yeah. the tremendous opportunity that your husband has because he is already comfortable in the kitchen yeah. to be able to have a method to communicate yeah. love and support and and compassion and modeling behavior to your children yeah. That's amazing. So yeah. I, that's I'm so happy for your family that he has that. Now for those other families that, like you said, they kind of flip their lid when they start thinking about cooking. I think that's why when as I'm developing this uh, my signature training program mm -hmm. around cooking is connecting, it really has to start with the mental shift. And I think mm -hmm. that's the case for everybody, even yes. for me. Even for someone who is very comfortable in the kitchen, I had to make a mental shift too. Because for me, cooking was, it was something for me. Mm -hmm. It was a therapy for me. Mm -hmm. It was, I want to impress my, my family. I want to validate for myself that I can still call myself a chef. Yeah. I want to have the, the picture perfect Instagram photograph to, to place on my social media feed to get all those yeah. likes and comments and follows. Yes. In a sense, I had to put that aside too yeah. and replace it with something even better. Yeah. And that's the connecting power. And if I'm being completely honest, that, that kind of self-esteem and, and self-motivation that I get from cooking has been a barrier for me. Even in my professional career, I had a hard time trusting other people to do things for me or mm -hmm. with me. So a lot of trust issues built built into me, you know, working on my own uh, attachment and insecurity issues yeah. from from my own childhood. Which again, yeah. this this whole process of learning about how to be better attuned to my children is also teaching me to be better attuned to myself. So absolutely, it's, absolutely, it's, it's rocking. And it's, it's awesome. It's so amazing how it comes have, out too, right? Yeah, like it, it is it that is. our unique gifts and the way we uniquely move through the world 
you know, for me, it's not mm-hmm. cooking, it's other things, but I, that, that stuff comes up in those unique, unique places that we, that we exist in the world. I love that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So whether, whether someone is comfortable in the kitchen or not, everybody yeah. is going to have to make a little bit of a shift because I think we, as a culture, as a society has forgotten what cooking can be for our relationships. It's more than just saving money, which it can. Mm-hmm. It's more than just saving time, which which it can. It's more than just teaching our children about these independent life, sc- life skills, which it is. Um, but it's the, the relational building block that used to be you know, commonplace just a few generations ago that we've kind of missed out on. And so again, whether you're coming from a place of, I hate cooking or I can't cook to a place where I really can cook and I want to do this for my family, in either camp, there's going to be some mindset shifting that has to take place. And and that's why, again, I'm trying to create content through my podcast, through my YouTube channel, through my training to help people walk through that process. If you have a child with a diagnosis Mm -hmm. of of something, whether it's a mental condition or a physical condition, and you have a doctor who says, you're going to have to do X, Y, Z in order to help your child to improve and to thrive and to be resilient later on in life. Would you do it? Mm -hmm. Of course you would. And so if I can get people to the place where they can understand and realize this is something, not only is, is it good, but I would say it's almost necessary for some of these children to experience the healing and growth and resilience that we want for them. And if that's the case, it doesn't matter if you don't know how to cook or if you don't feel like you have time to cook. Those are things that you can begin to change in your own in our own neuroplasticity that we yes. have as parents and begin to shift our, our motivations to say, it's not that I don't have time. It's that I haven't made time. Yeah. It's not that I don't know how it's I haven't taken the time yet to know how. And because I know this is what's best for my child, I'm going to, I'm going to move everything in order to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great way to just reframe everything too, that I, I, a couple of years ago, I took out of my own vocabulary. I don't have time to X, Y, Z, whatever it was. I just was like, that's not true. I have time to do anything I want to. It's where does that land? I don't want to say it as simply as on my list of priorities. I think there's a lot of privilege that gets kind of implicit in, in that kind of conversation, but, um, you know, having the space to step back and go, if this is important to me, I will figure out a way to, you know, make time and and space for it. And I think that that can, that is true more often than most we we usually think it is. And if I can do something again, through my content creation, through courses, through group coaching to make that more feasible and easier and to get them to see better results than they would on their own, then that's, that's more benefit that they're going to get out of it. Yeah. So I think I'm hearing kind of number one step for almost everyone is some mindset shifting about your own role in cooking, your own role in food prep, your own, the way you approach it, what the goals are. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So after, what would you say after that? Like, what, what do you do after that? After you do that, then it's kind of coming up with a strategy, you know, Uh how do we start implementing this? And that's where I've been so fortunate to discover a 
a framework that was developed by another uh, science-based, uh, research-based organization called Search Institute. Okay. And they created something called the Developmental Relationships Framework. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with it or nope. not, um, but I happened to, you know, in my, my Google searching and whatnot, came across this list of five different uh, categories of activities of um things that that children need to be communicated to in order to feel accepted and empowered and to build kind of the the mental and developmental assets that they need in order to to grow healthy and and strong and resilient later on in life and within these five categories there were 20 activities and what i love about this framework is that it was voiced from the, the child's perspective uh-huh. like uh to be able to listen to your child say, I need you to do X, I need you to do this. And what really blew my mind when I found this framework is that all 20 of these activities could be incorporated into the shared act of cooking and eating with our children. Mm-hmm. And so I had kind of this research-based, you know, 25 years of, of developmental research that I could easily incorporate into this idea of cooperative cooking. And that is the the framework that I use for my free email challenge, the the 20-day cooking is connecting challenge. Mm -hmm. I then took that email sequence and turned it and I'm turning it into a series of podcast episodes. Cool. And so each of those activities, talking about the activity, what it means, and then framing it within the kitchen and giving my audience two or three or more activities within the kitchen that they could use to implement that strategy. And from there, you know, continuing to, to spread it out and to give my audience more tools to make it easier for them to, to implement this. As we are recording this right now, I am working on developing what I'm calling the Cooking is Connecting Family Workbook. So it'd be uh, a an actual kind of an activity book that takes all of these things and puts it down on paper so that families can look at it and say, okay, for activity number one, here's A, B, and C. Let's find the one that's going to work best for our family and figure out a way that we can implement it and put some, you know, put some um, some numbers behind it, put some dates on it. And, and make an actual commitment that we are going to do these things. Um, and that's kind of the, the process I'm going through right now is creating some, some resources that families who have kind of are already buying into the idea that they need to be cooking and eating with their family to give them some activities that they can begin to incorporate into their lives, no matter what their skill level is in the kitchen. You know, anybody can understand that if they want to be present and attuned to their children while they're in the kitchen, they need to remove distractions, you know, or or that they um, need to monitor their tone of voice or yeah. that they they can give their children choices. You know, all yes. of these things, when you hear it, it, it makes sense. But to actually put it together into a complete kind of a, a framework where we're kind of checking all the boxes and giving our children what they need to to develop strong mental health and co-regulation and resilience is, is an amazing gift that I can give to other families. Well, no kidding. And I love hearing too that the way that this model that you have is bringing together kind of what I would call both like the being and the doing that mm-hmm. So many programs have lots of doing involved, but don't spend, you know, enough 
energy with the with the being like the the just our own energetic way we're approaching the experience and our kids but but then some programs have too much of the opposite right like not enough doing and so mm. parents parents who are really stressed too right like the parents you and I know are are really, I mean all parents are stressed and then you add in the behaviors that emerge from having a history of trauma and there's a whole new level level of stress so finding ways to to stay really anchored in the being, right? Like this is really mm-hmm. about connection and co-regulation. And also here's very clear, concrete steps or things to do because it's hard to think of those things when you're stressed or overwhelmed or doing something new or vulnerable. And for a lot of people, I assume that coming into the kitchen and doing stuff with, with, with food and with nurturing, like that's feeling super vulnerable. Uh, yeah, it yeah. is for me. It's been very vulnerable for me. Again, the kitchen was was my place. Yeah. And so to invite someone, someone else into the kitchen, let alone a child who knows very little about what to do pr- from a productive standpoint right. in the kitchen is incredibly vulnerable. But I yeah. think you would agree with me that in order to build co-regulation, you have to have that vulnerability. It is an absolute necessity. And the great joy and blessing that has been for me is to not only to model appropriate behaviors to my children through this activity, but to also give them an opportunity to see me being vulnerable. Like, I yes, I am a chef and I'm a professional of 25 years and experience. I still mess up in the kitchen. Yes. And so I get this amazing opportunity to model myself going through this process of of experiencing failure or setbacks and to give them an opportunity to empathize with me and to maybe even work with me to invite them in and say, Hey, kiddo, I really messed this up. Uh, What do you think we can do to fix this? I mean, we don't get those kind of opportunities elsewhere. And that's been one of the big kind of life-changing moments for for my relationship with my children, uh, let alone just allowing myself to have more opportunities to give them some yeses, yes, to give them some affirmation that, yes, I want you to be with me. Yes, you can do this. Yes, you can chop up the vegetable scraps for the chickens. It doesn't help me make food. It doesn't help me prepare the dinner, but we're together. We're modeling behavior. We are, you know, she's modeling even, you know, the way I'm holding my knife, you know, Mm -hmm. learning the pencil grip and the bear claw Mm -hmm. how to to chop safely. Mm -hmm. And that. It, that moment when my my child came up to me and asked if she could cut my vegetable scraps was was the the, the game shift was the aha moment yeah. for me in my life and in my relationship with my child yeah. because I understood better what the connecting power of the kitchen could be. It's not necessarily about even getting them to help me make food. It's just it's us being together yes. and having these interactions in these moments. And I want other families to experience that. And like I said, it's, it's going to take making that mental shift and then learning kind of the, like you said, the doing and the being to be able to do that. And I think kind of the final piece is then finding a way of sticking with it, you know, finding some way of being accountable to it, whether it's having the framework to, to hold each other as, as, um, as spouses or partners as to, to hold each other accountable to doing it, or even having a clinician like yourself to say, Hey, we're going through this process. I want you to be, you know, holding us accountable to be doing this on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. 
or for those that feel like they need something a little bit more than that to be able to address kind of the cooking issues as well, uh, to be able to provide them with either one-on-one coaching access with me or mm-hmm. doing group coaching. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit more affordable and you can kind of walk alongside other families that are trying to do this together and feel like you're not alone because that that can be a real struggle as well. Whenever you're trying to make any sort of life change, it's yeah. helpful to know that there are other people that trying to do it alongside of you to have that encouragement support. Oh, absolutely. That's such a huge part of the work that I try to do out in the world too, is just bringing people together and, and, you know, people who's have parent or people who are parenting kids with such significant behavioral challenges feel totally alone. You know, like there's nobody else who's ever experienced anything like this before. And to find opportunities for, for people to see each other kind of reflected through one another and come together um, with, with this kind of shared commonality. I love this moment of like, without even having words exchanged, you know, they can look at each other and they're like, oh, I got it. I, you got me. Yep. You understand these things that nobody else ever would, even if I could find the words. Um, and then to do that in a way that you're infusing with this inherently, again, connecting, nurturing, and playful and joyful experience that is cooking. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I just love it. I love it. Tell me about like a tip or two maybe for parents whose kids are not really impressed with this idea. <laughs> you know, that like <laughs> parents can make the mindset different mindset shift and you know we can prep ourselves with the here's what we're gonna do. But what about the child who's not willing or interested or even more than just not interested, but kind of overtly critical or shaming towards the parent. Talk, let's mm. talk about that. How do we, or how, has there been any way that you've found like to help these more, let's just call them resistant children. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be the case with any sort of therapeutic method. You know, yeah. n- not all methods are going to be for, for everyone uh, yes. and you know, every family situation is going to be a little bit different. One of the things to, to keep in mind is that integrating your child into the kitchen doesn't necessarily mean immediately putting a knife in their hands and, and getting them to, to do prep work. There's yeah. so many kind of pathways you can take to get into it. It could be setting the table. It could be washing the dishes. It could be going shopping. It could be planning the menu. And so there's a lot of different things in the process of creating food and bringing food together that, again, kind of integrate different aspects of of academics and different pursuits. There's math, there's chemistry, there's physics, there's biology, there's budgeting, communication, language arts, problem solving, you know, all of those things. And so part of that is being attuned to the interests of of your child and see which of those interests um, provides you with an avenue, an open door in order to begin to integrate them into the process. And again, that's one of the things with a program like this, it's not a one size fits all sort of sort of thing. And, you know, there's 20 activities in the developmental relationships framework, but that doesn't mean you have to start with one and then make your way to 20. Yes. It's, you know, maybe we're going to do three this week and eight and then 11 and then, you know, 15 and two kind of go together. We'll do those together this way. 
And so it's not kind of a start at point A and at point B sort of scenario. As with, I think, a lot of other therapeutic methods, it's going to take some, some attunement and some trial and error. But if you're doing all of it from a standpoint of of allowing yourself to be vulnerable to your child and mm-hmm. seeking connection, I would I would hope that that they would honor that. Uh, again, children from hard places, their wiring is a little bit disrupted, and so it's a long process. And I'm still going through it. I mean, I can talk about how passionate I am about this about this methodology and about this framework, but I'm still going through it myself, yes. and I still have hard days with my kiddos. Um, but again, the mindset shift is there. And so that makes the hope still there as well. And obviously what I'm doing is in no way to be a replacement for therapy. I think it's an integration with counseling and and group coaching and things of that nature that is going to make it truly successful. And that's what I've experienced. Again, to have a trauma-informed TBRI practitioner counselor involved in our family's life has given us kind of that accountability that we need from someone with outside eyes looking in to be able to to tell us and show us what's working and what's not working and to be able to direct our efforts to what we feel is going to be the most productive. One of the most interesting things, again, about about this cooking thing is that it can actually change children's mindsets around food and cooking. And picky eating can be something that is an issue or or, um, children that are a little bit adverse to to certain types of foods that could potentially be overcome. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that I've seen, I don't know if you've seen this in your family as well, is that if your child has had any hand at all, whatsoever Mm -hmm. in any part of the meal process, whether it's scrubbing the potatoes or maybe Mm -hmm. just walking the groceries in from the car, they'll say, I helped cook. Yeah. It's all it takes. It doesn't have to be hard. It can be something really simple to begin to see the results. So some of it is just you know, taking the pressure off of yourself to feel like you don't have to have this kind of Wolfgang Puck moment with your your child. Yeah. In order to begin to make connections happen. And hopefully along the process, they will become excited about food and cooking. And if they don't, if they don't want to be a professional (laughs) chef, that's fine. It's not about the cooking. It's about the connecting. Exactly. Well, yeah, I love so much of what you just had to say. It's like, um, first of all, yes, of course, nothing is ever right for every family. Absolutely. And then so much of what we're going, you know, looking for isn't necessarily we've made this beautiful meal together, although that surely is amazing. But it's all the it's all the pieces that go inside it. It's all the moments of rupture and repair that happen. It's all the opportunities to look for attunement. It's all the opportunities to look for scaffolding and all these ways that kids and adults, everybody has this opportunity to just be seen and known. Whereas like in the kitchen and cooking and food, and it can be a, a vehicle to, and then have all these other, again, amazing. We'll have to come back and talk more even just about what it means, you know, the nurturing piece and, um, all of that. But even if we just look at it strictly from almost like this activity experience, and it is so much more than that, but just, yeah, the way, just like you talked about the rupture and repair piece and 
um, and the getting to know one another and seeing, you know, being so clearly can, you know, connected and attuned without having this big overarching agenda. Yeah. And I love that you said that because that actually brings to mind this idea that if, if along the process, you as a, as a parent, if you're listening and you begin this process and you invite your child to do something in the kitchen and they are resistant yeah. to it, that's a piece of information. Yes. That's, if you're, yep. if you're being a detective yep. right then and there, that's a piece of information that you can dig into to try and understand what is the, the need behind the, the behavior. Yeah. So yeah. even that, even their resistance to doing something in the kitchen can be a positive if you're looking at it from the lens of connection. So yes. I'm glad you brought that up. You're, yeah. you're teaching me here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just, I, again, I just keep having these like, Oh, and what about this? And what about this? Okay. So one last thing. And then, um, when we wrap up today, we'll definitely have to start talking about like, what are we going to talk about next time? Um, <laughs> but I'm thinking about, again, in my own family, because um, my husband is so connected to cooking as his way of um, caring for not only himself, because it's a hobby that he loves, but caring for us, right? He gets a lot out of, like, this is my part of my role in the family. And this is how I show y'all how much I care about you and love you. And when he has spent, whether it's five minutes preparing something super simple or an hour and a half preparing something, you know, more complicated. And, you know, my son gives any hint, and sometimes it's way more than a hint. Sometimes it's a very <laughs> overt, like, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Do you have just any kind of final parting words of connection for those parents? Because you just, we've already said like cooking and preparing and serving something is so vulnerable. It's like you take your heart and just like hold it next to what, what you're serving. Um, and for it to be rejected can feel so painful. Um, and I'm a big believer in like, that's valid pain. Like we, I'm not in the business of talking people out of their hurts simply because we could look at maybe like where that's coming from with the child. You know, we can do both, right. We can look at what, what's driving that child's behavior. Mm -hmm. We can also really acknowledge that, that to be so vulnerable and to, to so tenderly care for your family and to have it rejected is a very valid hurt. Um, so yeah, just any thoughts on that? And that's a, that's a feeling that I'm sure many other foster and adoptive families like myself have, have gone through it. There's a reason why the, 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 the churn rate, the, the burnout rate among foster adoptive parents is so high because it is, it is a huge mindset shift to, to see the child's behavior and see the needs behind it. It doesn't really come naturally. But again, I think it's that vulnerability that whether whether it's a good moment or a bad moment, we can see either one through the lens of connection. And if it's something that we can celebrate that we've done together and connect that way, then great. If it's a vulnerable moment where they're reacting in a in a negative or I don't want to say maladaptive because we know we don't say that anymore. Uh, <laughs> but job, in a way that that um, is creating tension. Yes. Um, again, we have to be okay with being vulnerable with our children and yeah. letting them know how it's affecting us, but also not necessarily putting the the blame 
on them as well. Yes. So it's, again, there's no, I don't have all the answers yet, I guess. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a part of your audience, because I so much appreciate the, the knowledge and experience and the wisdom that you provide to us in helping to integrate this information into our lives. And I'm hoping to then take that and give other people some some practical tools to be able to integrate that into our lives. And it's not always going to go right. It's not always going to go perfect. But if we're but if we are pursuing it from that mindset of connection, I think the the good is going to outweigh the bad and the connection is going to outweigh the the rupture. And and like you said, anytime there's a rupture, there's an opportunity for repair, whether it's within the kitchen or after dinner time to be able to to revisit a moment and to let our child know how their, their words or behavior affected us. And, you know, there's, there's always a chance for a do-over. Absolutely. And I'm, I think you're completely right. Like, well, of course you, you don't even come close to having all the answers because there aren't any, right. We're just all fumbling through doing the very, very best that we can. And, you know, in a way it's like, well, it probably wasn't a question so much as a, just normalizing for everyone listening that we've all been hurt by like preparing something, whether it be food or some other, you know, offering and have it get rejected and you add food into the equation. And then the stuff we talked about at the beginning is like, there's just so much energy around food and how all these shoulds and we're supposed to use, and we're supposed to be able to do this for our family. If I was a good parent, I would be able to feed my kid this way. And my kid would eat this if I was a good parent, you know? Yeah. And so to, to just notice all of these are creating like moments of, of hurt in us. And they're, I think that's what I feel so strongly about. They're valid, right? That I've watched so many families come along on this kind of new lens and new way of parenting. And sometimes this unintended byproduct is they shame themselves in this new way. Like, Oh, I, I should know better. Or I know why my child's behavior is like this. And it's, driven from their own pain. And since it's driven from their own pain, I shouldn't have any. I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) You know, like we can do both, right? Like we can acknowledge our child's pain. We can make it not about us. And it can be true that it still hurt. All of those things are valid and welcome and deserve to be cared for. And it feels like this, this thing that you're doing with families is just one more way for that to all happen and this this messiness and this humanness to just be and it to be okay yes life is merit messy parenting yeah. is messy cooking is messy, it's messy. <laughs> i know right <laughs> but if we're doing yeah. it together it's yeah. um even even if the food doesn't turn out great even yeah. if the plate isn't something you would post to instagram um you have something that you've done with your child and for your child and whether they can communicate that in words or not, it's communicating something to them and they're receiving it. And it's beginning to refine and reform those neural pathways in their, their mind to know that they're safe, that they're loved, they're empowered. And to have that voice given to me to, to reflect that to my children, I am so, so grateful. And I want to teach that language to as many other parents as I can. Yeah. 
Well, thank you. I mean, I feel so confident this is the first of many times that we will connect. What you're doing is just amazing. Truly, truly amazing. Um, so the first thing I want you to do right now is just, and I'll put it all in the show notes, of course, so people have it in writing, but tell people where they can come find you. Well, my personal brand is Cooking with Kibby. I had to leave off the G because there's too many letters for Twitter. True story. So <laughs> I love Cooking that. with Kibby. Cookingwithkibby.com. You can find me. I'm most active on Instagram. So if you want to follow me there and slide into my DMs and let me know how I can help you, that's a great place to reach me. The Cooking with Kibby podcast is available on all podcast platforms. I also have a YouTube channel as well, where I have some videos on there, some some free content, including some videos that are taken out of my my first online course, which is Knife Skills for Busy Families. Because if there's one thing that intimidates most people getting into the kitchen first, It's learning how to handle a knife safely. Yes. And so yes. that's a great place for, for folks to start. But yeah, um, find me on my podcast, slide into my DMs on Instagram or sign up for my email list. And the Cooking is Connecting 20-Day Challenges on that website as well. So uh, again, thank you so much for letting me share my heart with your audience. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm, yes, absolutely. I th- thank you for for coming and connecting with my audience and really for being in, in the world in the way that you are, like for being part of this team, you know, I meet people as like, we're, we're out there, we're doing this to these kids and for ourselves. And I have so much gratitude. I of course know how vulnerable it is. I know what it means to like kind of be dedicating your professional life to these kids and these families. And I am just really, really grateful. So grateful for it. So We will do this again, I'm sure. But until then, thank you so much. Thank you. See, I told you that would be fun. I love to see what creative and joyful ways people can capitalize on their unique strengths to make a huge difference in the world. And that's exactly what Kibby is doing. I'm so grateful he connected with me on Instagram and then agreed to be on the podcast. And of course... I'm really, really grateful for you. Thank you for your commitment to kids, families, and to making the world a better place by embodying the science of relationships. I'll see you next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids but also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. 
Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.